Thank you for listening to Breakthrough Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. Brought to you by Daryl Reed. For more podcasts, news and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. Well, I'm going to be sharing with us again uh, part two of Esther. I'm sure some of you remember I shared a couple of weeks ago on Esther, and uh, we, we looked at the children's book. So I know Logan was very excited to come to church this morning because he knew I was going to be opening up the, the, the children's book, and uh, one or two other friends as well heard that we were going to get into the kiddies, kiddies section. So if your kids are with you, then get them to come and sit in front of the TV with you uh, because... We've got a kid's story. I did get a bit of a fright this morning when I read the front cover of the book, um, Bedtime Bible Stories. So hopefully I won't put you to sleep. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're going to read this. And what I did last time, I just used this, uh, the book of Esther is where we, we're going. And it, it covers, uh, I think there's 11 chapters. And, and if we read all of that, it would take a long time. So we're just going to summarize it by using Sarah, my daughter's uh, Bible story. And so Sarah, this is for you, my beautiful little princess. We're going to be talking about Esther. It's her favorite Bible story. And so I hope you're listening at home along with mommy and little Lucy. And I hope all the other kiddies are joining us as well. As we get into our story. So uh, we're going to put the slide up for you guys so you can follow with as we read uh, the book of Esther. Uh, so I'm going to recap so you guys know where we are. And if I can ask someone to get the time code going for me that I don't go on for eternity. Uh, so King Xerxes of Persia was looking for a beautiful young woman to be his new queen. A lot of girls in the Persian kingdom were summoned, but only one would become the queen. One of these girls was Esther. She was a Jew and an orphan. Her uncle Mordecai, who worked in the palace, had adopted her. After a full year of beauty treatments in the palace, each girl was presented to the king. And I know this is where the ladies are like, yeah, preach it, brother. Full year of beauty treatments. Husband, are you listening to this? <laughs> Treat me like the, like the Queen Esther. Um, so the king immediately fell in love with Esther and chose her to be his wife, the new queen. Some time later, the king made Haman, one of his nobles, more powerful than any other man in his entire kingdom. He commanded that everyone should bow down to Haman when they saw him. Mordecai, however, refused to bow down to Haman. I am a Jew and can only bow down to the one true God, Mordecai said. Uses the story, kid story uses a little bit of creative license over there. That's not really in the, the true script uh, in the scriptures. A fascinating thing is that the, the whole book of Esther doesn't actually mention or refer to God at all, but there's just these uh, references uh, as we can see. So the kids' book is just pulling it out here for us to make it plain and simple. So, I am a Jew and can only bow down to the one true God, Mordecai said. This made Haman furious. So he went to the king and said, there is a group of people living in your kingdom who do not follow your orders. I think we should get rid of them all, said Haman. The king didn't think much about who these people might be, but allowed Haman to do as he pleased. So when Esther's uncle Mordecai found out, he dressed in sackcloth to show his sorrow and stood outside the palace crying, Oh, Esther, Mordecai sobbed, Haman has made a law that will cause all the Jews to be killed. Please go to the king and ask for help. But uncle, said Esther, I cannot just go to the king. If he doesn't first invite me to come, it might cost me my life to ask him for anything. Esther, said Mordecai, maybe this is just the reason why you have become queen. Okay, said Esther, I will go. But please pray and fast for me for three days first. 
If it costs me my life, then let it be so. So that's where we, we ended uh, last week. Well, not last week, a couple of weeks ago. I think it was four weeks ago today. And uh, we were looking at some of these things that, you know, perhaps you were born for such a time as this. Perhaps the very business, the workplace, the university, wherever it is that you find yourself in life, uh, the challenge that you might be facing, perhaps you were born for such a time as this. We also then looked at the, uh, the position of weakness that Esther and Mordecai find themselves in, the anxiety, the stress uh, that they, they find themselves in. And we, we noted that weakness can be a godly thing and that we should never let our weakness disqualify or prevent us from doing the things that God wants us to do. You know, on the one hand, we said we can, we can use weakness to the extreme, say, well, I'm just too weak, and, uh, and so I can't, can't do anything, and so I'm not going to do anything. Um, and on the other hand, we, we can say, well, you know, I'm not qualified enough, and so I'm not, I'm not going to do anything. Anyway, we covered the different extremes of, of weakness Point being that when we are weak, God is strong, and so we should never let our weakness uh, be an excuse. And, and oftentimes we find ourselves in our faith in a position of weakness, and, uh, and it's in those moments that we don't give up and surrender. Uh, as Brahm was, was saying earlier, that we, we, we bring that battle before the Lord on our knees with our hands lifted high, and, um, and He's the one that makes us strong. Let's get back to the, the story yeah. So. Uh, page 54 of the story. After three days of fasting and praying, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the entrance to the throne room. When the king saw her, to Esther's relief, he held out his gold scepter and agreed to, uh, agreed to her to come to his throne. Tell me what is your, on your mind, Queen Esther, King Xerxes said. I will give you anything you ask for, even up to half my kingdom. If it pleases you, king, then I would like you and Haman to come to a dinner that I myself will make for you, Esther answered. We'll pause over there. Um, and so we, we now see that Esther, after this time of prayer and fasting, and just as we read here in the book of Esther, we believe that this month of uh, prayer and fasting in September is going to be a month of doors opening and of things shifting and changing. And so just as Mordecai and all the Jewish people and Esther, they fast for three days saying, God, we need you. Because the, the consequence of someone approaching the king in that day without his permission uh, meant that they could, they could be put to death. And so... Um, Esther's very relieved that the, the king says, no, come on in, and then says, have whatever, whatever you want, I'll, I'll give you. So a couple of points for us to take out of this. After a time of preparation, after a time of prayer, after a time of fasting, after a time of seeking the Lord, um, it's so important that we, we follow through on those actions, on those thoughts. Uh, just as Esther does, she doesn't just pray and fast and then say, all right, well, Lord, it's in your hands now. Um, as Brahm was saying, some battles we fight and some battles we, we leave to the Lord. And often I find within every battle, it, it requires a combination of both, that we need to do something, but also we need to trust God and have faith in Him that He's going to do what only we, um, He can do. And so Esther goes to the king and basically faces death as she goes to approach him. And so as we have these times of prayer, of fasting, of intercession, that we go to the Lord, that we, uh, we then also follow through on the preparation and do whatever it is that we need to do, that we don't just leave everything, uh, you know, and say, okay, God, well, I'm not going to do anything, that we, we listen to him, that the Holy Spirit guides us and leads us. And so Esther follows through. We need to be people of follow through. This is a time for our yes to be yes, um, and that we are people of honesty and integrity. 
a fascinating thing happens now in this story. Uh, there's this temptation that comes upon Esther. And so as Esther goes to the king and, and says, you know, please, can, can I meet with you? Uh, the king says, I will give you whatever you want, even up to half of my kingdom. Now just put yourself in Esther's shoes for a moment. She knows that death of, you know, the entire Jewish population is, is about to happen. Um, and, and she's kind of the, the potential answer to bring change and, you know, bring rescue to the Jewish people. And she's freaking out. She's, she's scared. Is she going to die? What's going to happen? And now all of a sudden, this opportunity is placed before her. Um, whatever you want, even up to half my kingdom. Now, Esther could have probably in that moment said, this is the Lord. You know, we've, we've prayed and we've fasted. We've now come before uh, King Xerxes. This is God now saying, whatever you want, up to half of my kingdom you can have. And, you know, the, the odds are so against the Jewish people. The command has been given for all Jewish people to, uh, to, be, to be killed, to be murdered. The date has been set. It's like nothing can change this. And in that day, once the king's signet ring had signed and sealed an order, that order cannot be undone. We'll look at that in a few minutes' time. Uh, and so, you know, Esther and Mordecai, they know that this thing is, is sealed. It's done. It's going to happen. Only with the hand of God can there be some kind of rescue uh, for, for the people, the Jewish people. And so this temptation that comes. Esther could think, you know, well, maybe by, by accepting this offer, maybe I just say in this very moment, yes, King Xerxes, let me take half of your kingdom. That is what I was going to ask for. And then she knows that maybe, okay, half of the kingdom that she gets you know, ownership of, she can protect half of the Jewish population. There's this temptation. What is Esther going to do with it? You know, this makes me, makes me think of Jesus and his temptation after his 40 days of, of prayer and fasting in the wilderness. And uh, we read this in Matthew chapter 4. Verse, uh, verse 8 to 11. It says, verse 1, uh, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. We pick it up from verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. This is the third temptation that the devil's trying to tempt Jesus with. Um, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended to Jesus. You see, both with this temptation that Jesus has and this temptation presented to Esther, both of these temptations look so similar to the genuine. It looks so similar to the real calling and purpose of God. For Jesus, you know, all of these kingdoms I will give you. Jesus knew, obviously, he was coming to establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And now he gets this temptation by the devil saying, all of this I will give to you. Uh, again, you know, Jesus could have thought, well, maybe this is the, the reason I was born. Maybe this is the moment where I need to, you know, have this compromised victory. For Esther, maybe she is thinking, this is the moment where I can have this compromised victory, where I can at least, at least save some by taking half of the kingdom. You see, so often the devil will come and tempt you, and he will tempt you with something that looks so similar to the genuine, but it's not the Lord, and it's a fake. And it's so important that we, uh, as we're on these journeys with the Lord, because life is a journey, that we continue to say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Holy Spirit, guide me and lead me that I won't get sidetracked by a temptation. 
I think oftentimes we, we hear, a, you know, a, a, we get a mandate, a mission, a, a, something from the Lord, and we grab hold of that and we think, all right, well, this is what I, I, I need to do. And then we, in our minds, picture what we think it looks like, what we think it should be, and then off we go. And, uh, and, and then we just sometimes kind of forget about the Holy Spirit, forget about Jesus, because we're on a mission. It's kind of like, God, don't you know I'm on a mission? Don't interrupt me. It's like, well, it's his mission, and he has the right, and he will, you know, guide and lead us as we go. And so um, when these temptations come that look so close to the genuine, but it's not the genuine, we really need Holy Spirit to speak to us, to guide us, to lead us, because these tests will come. Uh, you know, God, Father God allowed uh, Jesus to be tested, and, and Father God allows each of us to be tested. Uh, and so let's make sure that when it is our, our day of testing, that we are ready to not compromise, but say, God, what are you doing? What are you saying in this moment for me, for my life? I think this is one of the most common uh, temptations or tests that comes upon believers that takes us off course, is we, we get tempted with something that looks so close to the genuine, but it's not, and we follow it, we take the bait, and, uh, and then we get led astray. Uh, let us be people of conviction that are sure in our faith that this is what God wants, this is the path he's taking you, taking you down. So what then happens is uh, the, the banquet feast happens Esther prepares the food for, for Haman and for, for King Xerxes. And there's actually in the scriptures, there's two banquet dinners. And uh, so, so the first banquet dinner, uh, Esther talks to, to the king and to, 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 uh, to Haman and then basically invites them for a second uh, dinner the, the next evening, we, we think it is. Um, and so Haman is the evil guy, just to fill in the picture again. He's the one that wants to kill all the Jews. And, uh, and he's also uh, irritated with uh, Mordecai because Mordecai is the one person that wouldn't bow down to him. Bow down to him. And, uh, and so Haman now wants to kill not just Mordecai, but all of the Jews. But Mordecai is kind of, he's the, the chief evil person, according to Haman, uh, for standing for righteousness and for integrity. And so... Haman goes and he, he has, after the first dinner, he has this discussion with his wife and with some friends. And they basically agree that this is just not acceptable uh, and that they need, to, they need to kill Haman. And so they agree together that they're going to set this pole 50 cubits high. Uh, it's 23 meters high. And that they're going to have Mordecai impaled upon this, uh, this pole and uh, be put on display for the, the whole town to see that... Mordecai has been murdered. Um, you see, interesting thing happens that night, though. The, the king just happens to not be able to sleep after their first dinner. And so he orders that the, the, the chronicles of his story, of his reign, be brought to him and read to him because he can't sleep. And so they bring the, the written record of his, his kingship and they start reading to him the accounts of all the, the historical facts of, of what's taken place. And so as he's being read these chronicles, he gets reminded about Mordecai saving him um, or you know, announcing that there was this assassination attempt by two of King Xerxes' uh, guards. That's uh, Esther chapter 2, you can read it. And so... 
King Xerxes is reminded of this time when Mordecai basically saves him by exposing this assassination attempt. And so the king says, well, what have we done to honor this Mordecai? Have we done anything? And uh, they say, no, we haven't done anything. So the next morning comes around. Uh, Haman has chatted with his wife. They coming to, well, Haman is coming to the king the, the morning after to say, this is my plan. We've set up the pole. We're going we're gonna to murder Haman. We're going to you know, impale him on the pole for everyone to see. And uh, he's going to go and tell the king that this is the plan. While he's standing in the kind of the, the king's courtroom, uh, the king says, who's in my courtroom? And they say, well, it's Haman. King Xerxes says, invite him in. Now, Haman thinks he's going in to tell the king how he's going to murder Mordecai. Meanwhile, the king has just found out through that night about the way that Mordecai had saved him. And so this interesting uh, turn of events takes place. And uh, we, we pick it up in Esther chapter 6 from verse 6 to 11. So when Haman entered, the king asked, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? So he answered the king, for the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes, let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Go at once, the king commanded Haman, get the robe and the horse and do just what you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. So Haman, I'm sure sheepish with his tail between his legs, <laughs> goes to get the robe and the horse. He rode Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Come on, isn't that just such a turn of events? Um, Mordecai's, I mean, Haman is, is coming to the king and, and the king says, you know, what, what should we do to honor the most, you know, noble of men in my kingdom? And, uh, and, you know, Haman's thinking, surely this is me. Like, is there anyone greater than me? Like, I'm second in command. I'm, I'm the one who has all of this authority and all of this power. And so the king's going to honor me. And you can just see him getting excited and, and boastful. And then someone pulls the carpet out from under his feet and uh, the very thing he thought was for him is actually now going to be placed on Mordecai. The very one that was supposed to be murdered is now the one being honored and being exalted, taken through the town. And, uh, and the one that was going to murder him, Haman, is now declaring that this is one of the most noble men and he must be honored and praised. Come on, what a beautiful, beautiful turn of events. All right, well, let's go back to our kid's story now. Esther prepared food for a banquet, and as they were eating, the king asked again, tell me, what can I do for you, Queen Esther? I'll give you anything. Esther replied, O king, I only ask to live, for I and my people are in danger. A man has made a law that will have all the Jews killed. Let's just pause over there. So first night, obviously, they... Um, they have the feast, they go back, and uh, Haman has a plan to kill Mordecai, and uh, Mordecai has his, um, well, he's, he doesn't know anything, but the king is, is saying to, uh, to his, 
his, his royal people, let's go and honor um, Mordecai. And so there's these two different potential solutions about to take place. And, uh, and, and now we see this temptation come again. I think it's three times that, that Queen Esther gets this temptation. But she carries on in the story. Who would do such a, well, the king says, who would do such a thing? Who is this man? Asked the king. Esther replied, an enemy who sits among us, this vile Haman. Haman was terrified and begged Esther for his life. But on the king's order, he was taken away immediately. And uh, that's where we we end our children's story. Uh, We had a nice little cool overlay over there. It's, It's one of the effects we do here at Breakthrough. So I want to just encourage us that the battle belongs to the Lord. It's what we were singing this morning. It's uh, what Brahm was doing as we were transitioning. What can Mordecai and Esther do? They, they just go and they ask. They do what they can do. And then they trust God to do what only God can do. Sometimes we find ourselves where we're in this battle. We're in this fight. And I so want to encourage us that in this month of September, but, but always that we, we go to the Lord with these battles, that we don't try and do them in our own strength. What would have happened to Mordecai and to Esther had they tried to bring deliverance to the Jewish people in their own strength? Man, I think we all know it wouldn't have ended well for them. But as they fight their battle, trusting that God is the God that brings deliverance, um, you know, it's, it's what we sang earlier. So when I fight on my knees with my hands lifted, eye, uh, lifted high, um, and then the next line was, Oh God, the battle belongs to you, and every fear I lay at your feet. Uh, may that be what be our response to our, to our battles, that every fear we're going to lay at the feet of King Jesus, um, because the battle belongs to him. So like I mentioned earlier, we now have the situation where Haman has been exposed. The king says, basically, uh, he must now be impaled on the very pole that was put up by himself to impale uh, Mordecai, Haman gets impaled on that very pole. Um, isn't that just, again, such, this, such a fascinating turn of events? And um, like I mentioned earlier, though, what happens is because this instruction has been given by the king for all the Jews to be killed, to be murdered on a set date, that cannot be undone. But now, not only does Mordecai, the good guy, um, get saved, but the king goes and honors him and uh, puts him in charge of everything that Haman was in charge of. He gives him his signet ring, so now Mordecai can go and make these, uh, you know, these, these declarations, these letters, signed and sealed with the king's authority. And so what he does is he goes and uh, sets a new instruction to all the Jewish people, to all the towns, I think it's 127 towns, that he sends this letter instructing the Jews that they are now allowed to legally defend themselves. And so they can't just you know, forget about the instruction of that they all need to be killed. That instruction has to stand, but a new instruction is given that the Jewish people can now defend themselves. And so this, this kind of battle breaks out and the Jewish people defend themselves. At one point, 75,000 uh, soldiers get killed by the Jewish people as they are now standing and fighting their battle. You see, as we fight our battles, we need to do what we can do and trust God to do what only he can do. Um, and so the Jewish people, they fight. I mean, it's a strenuous thing. They do what they can do, but God is the one that's brought them their deliverance. And uh, 
what happens, we read in, in Esther chapter 8, verse 16. It says, for the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. In every province and in every city to which the edict of the, the, the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews, with feasting and celebrating, and many people of other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. And so instead of the Jewish population being destroyed in this area, it's now growing and being strengthened as people are saying, I want to become part of their tribe. I want to be with them because obviously God is with them and something's happening. So instead of destruction, we see growth, we see strength, we see promotion. God turned things around for our good. And so we need to trust God to do what only he can do as we do what we can do. Esther 10 verse 3. Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews, and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. You see, I think one of the reasons why Mordecai and Esther have this breakthrough is because they don't, they don't have the selfish ambition. They don't have the selfish desire. They get the temptation where you can have half of the kingdom, but they don't take that temptation. They stick with the initial instruction or the, the conviction that they have that they need to bring deliverance to the Jewish people. And it says over here, because he worked, Mordecai worked for the good of his people, the Jewish people, and spoke up for the welfare you see, the temptation often comes to give you self-promotion, uh, but we need to be people that contend for community upliftment, not self-enrichment. And, and that temptation so often comes. Temptation comes as you're walking the, the path with the Lord for self-enrichment. And, uh, and God says, no, we need to take the, the path of community upliftment and not always of self-enrichment. Uh, self and as we take the, the, the stance of community upliftment, when we do that, God blesses you anyway. Uh, but let the blessing come from the Lord. Let us not try to steal and take the blessing upon ourselves. And so this, this reminds me of the posture that we should take. Um, you know, unlike Mordecai, who comes with a boastful posture, uh, I mean, sorry, not Mordecai, Haman, who comes with a boastful posture. Uh, but Mordecai is just humble. Uh, Esther is humble. And it reminds me of uh, the story in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse, verse 8 to 11. Um, wait, sorry, let me go back and read it. It's actually, uh, where did it go now? Luke 14. Sorry, jumping ahead of myself. Um, Luke 14, verse 7 to 11. Now he told a parable, this is Jesus telling a parable, to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
so important that I think we posture ourselves with a posture of humility, that we don't come before, you know, your workplace, your family, whatever it is, with a, a boastful, arrogant, proudful attitude or, or approach to life, that we approach life with humility. And it's when we do that, God will exalt us. Uh, he will lift us up. We saw what happened to Haman, and Mordecai gets exalted, as does Esther. Um, and so coming back now to the the work of, of Mordecai and Esther, and, and as Mordecai becomes this person of great influence in the kingdom because he looks after the, the goodwill of the community. First uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 8 to 11, it says, Above all, love each other deeply, uh, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And so just as Mordecai gets promoted because of his concern for the community, um, the same thing happens with us as we choose to use the gifting that you have, the gifting that you have to serve your communities, to uplift others, to strengthen others. It's as we approach life with humility. It's as we approach life using our gifts, not for self-promotion, not to draw attention to ourselves, but to bring glory to Jesus and to uplift others. Uh, it's as we do that, that we walk in our calling, that the kingdom of God expands and that we just see the Lord's hand uh, in, our, in our community. And so we have the opportunity to be part of God's loving grace to people. Um, and isn't that just such a profound opportunity and gift that we have, that the giftedness that, that God gives us is there so that we can pour out grace and love to others. And so as I start to close, I want to just encourage us that as we look back over the story of Esther, we see the providence of God. And what do I mean by the providence? We see God uh, going before Esther, going before Mordecai, when they have no idea what's going on. They think death and destruction is going to be their portion. And then God, working in the background, turns all these things around together for good. As, uh, you know, the king can't sleep and he starts to think about, well, let me read the Chronicles. And then he's reminded about uh, what did he do to honor Mordecai? There's so many nuances that take place in the story of God's goodness, God's providence, God's care, his protection for us. And so I want to encourage us that even when you don't see it, God is working. Uh, you know, the song we sing, Miracle Maker, by on Onoski Okuru, um, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Uh, he's a miracle maker. Uh, he, he's a way maker. Our God is good. He cares for us. He provides for us. And His providence will be with you and protect you. And I want to just uh, encourage us that we have faith in Jesus, that we don't give up, that we continue working. Even when we face, uh, you know, a, a trying, difficult situation where it seems that there's just no deliverance from this particular place, uh, that you continue to walk out your journey with faith, that you 
you continue to walk out your journey with conviction to what Holy Spirit is saying to you, that we continue to walk out our, our, our approach to the Lord and to one another with humility and love. And so if you're not standing, please stand. And I want to I pray for you. I want to pray that the providence of God will just continue uh, to, to be with you. Yeah, so thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your love for us. As we, we read the story in Esther, we just see your hand time and time again. We just see situations being turned around, situations that were, were destined for destruction. And then you turn them around and you bring victory. God, you bring victory. You are the God of victory. You are the God who is working even when we don't see it. We know that you are working. And so, Lord, I ask for every individual that's facing a difficult uh, situation, that's facing a battle, that's facing a challenge, that in this time of prayer and fasting, thank you that we can continue to put our faith in you, knowing that you are good, knowing that you are working. And so thank you, Lord, for your providence over us. Thank you for your goodness over us. Thank you that we can rest assured knowing that the battle belongs to you, that you will guide us, that you will lead us, and that as we do what we can do, we know, God, that you will do what only you can do. And so we say, God, come and do it. Come and do it in our lives. Come and bring the breakthroughs that we are contending for, for our city, for our families, in our individual lives, for our businesses, uh, healing breakthroughs. Thank you, God, that you're bringing breakthrough in this season. Amen.